Everybody, this is the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Sean Horwell. This is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks and yours. I'm joined today by the ring dings to my milk, Craig Moorhead and Brian Crane. Special guests, thank you guys for joining us. How are you, Craig and Brian? I'm I'm doing fine, and Brian is not doing so good, but he's he's going to pull through. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. That's that's accurate. I'm I'm in a bad place. No, I'm I'm great. I'm excited to talk about the keep. We're not talking about the keep. No, it was a great movie. Can't wait to jump into that. That's what we're doing tonight, right? Uh, no, we're doing another Chinese film. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and you were going to be responsible for pronouncing all the names. So, oh, excellent, yeah. excellent. No, uh, it's it's <laughs> nice to have you again, and appreciate you filling in for us over the summer. You did uh, a couple episodes with us and we thought what better way to cap off the end of the year the end of our season here than to have you join us on our Nicolas Cage run here as we talked about Trapped in Paradise from 1994 but first Craig you want to tell people where they can find us online if they want to come say hello you can find us on the website neverheardpodcast.com and that's where you'll find uh, find bios of us you'll find write-ups of the long episodes and you'll find links to our Facebook and our Twitter and our Instagram because we are there too. And you can get in touch with us through those channels via uh, 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 internet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is. <laughs> Every time I do this, it's like the first time. Yeah. And uh, you know, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know if you if there's a movie you want us to uh, to check out. Actually, somebody just suggested. Uh, 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 Terry, uh, one of our listeners who uh, has suggested many things, suggested that we take a look at. <laughs> Shit, I knew I shouldn't have started talking about this because I totally <laughs> forgot. <laughs> okay, just give me a. It's really stuck in your mind there. Yeah, yeah I mean, it really suggest. stayed with me. Uh, he always his his. Uh, okay, here we go. Oh, Phase Four, the movie Phase Four. It's sort of a horror movie. I believe it's involving ants. Everyone loves ants. Anyway, Phase Four. Yeah. Uh, it's on uh, Hulu. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm way off track. Yeah, you know, get in touch with us. Feel free to uh, suggest movies. We'd love that. Uh, and you can also, you can find this podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher, on Spotify. Uh, if you like this uh, podcast, if you like this episode, why don't you, you could leave us a review. You could leave some stars. You could say some nice things. You could subscribe to it. All these things would help uh, other people find this podcast. Isn't that right, Sean? That is right. And Brian, would you like people to find you online? Yeah, that'd be great. Just, you know, no, I, I got I got no web presence. Oh, dog. <laughs> That's not true. Yeah. You're you're on Twitter and you sent me a video from uh, the behind the scenes of the keep recently. So oh, that's true. I, I mean, did. you know, go follow Brian on Twitter. You never know what he might share from the keep. And I don't even know where you found that, but uh, enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't. It just popped up on my. It's like, hey, this is this is relevant. See, so there you go. No, it's great to have you both here. I hope everybody listening to this is all pumped and ready. I can't even remember exactly when this episode is going to drop. Maybe Christmas has already happened. Maybe it's it's happening right now. Go check the rooftop if Santa's there. Get your ass in bed and turn off the podcast. I hope everybody will have a nice holiday, guys. We got to talk briefly about what else you've watched since, I mean, Brian, it's been a long time since we've talked and I've asked you this Oh question. yeah, that's true. The thing that 
has stuck in my head uh, most recently is I, I saw a little movie about a guy from the Emerald Isle uh, called The Irishman on, on ye old Netflix. Hmm. I took a gander at that. I don't know if either of you guys did no, or not. I don't tend to watch international stuff. I thought it was uh, quite good. Well, I was going to say, I've seen half of The Irishman, which, you know, nice. I, we were joking yesterday with somebody else and they were like, oh, you've only got like four hours left. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for it to really, to, to, for the spirit to move me with that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to ask you, like by the end of it, since you've seen the whole thing. Yeah. I feel completely unanchored as to what age Robert De Niro is at any point in that movie, uh, with one exception when he's in like the senior home. Otherwise, I'm just like, I, he could be 40, he could be 400 right now. I don't know. I can't tell. It's so weird, and I don't understand why they didn't just cast somebody else for the younger character. I don't know. What was your, just on the aging thing, what, did you, what was your takeaway? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I think the, the problem is is that we, we know all really well what Robert De Niro looks like as a 40-year-old man, and he doesn't yeah. look like that. So he just looks like an older guy with fewer wrinkles. And I don't think with the level of physicality that these actors have to, to still put on, whether it's Al Pacino or whether it's Robert De Niro or Joe Pesci, just de-aging their faces doesn't quite cut it. So there, yeah. there's a, a higher suspension of disbelief required to to kind of experience this story than you know you might otherwise have expected with all the talk of the technology. But I'd, I'd say the, the first part of the movie is weakest, I, I, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, just because the real crux of it is is the relationship between Jimmy Hoffa and, and uh, Robert De Niro's character, Frank. Yeah. When that, that starts getting geared up that then it, it's a lot more interesting to me and it's a lot more there's a lot more to, to sort of chew on i will stick with it yeah it's it's worth it's worth the watch certainly good what about you craig what have you seen i i've uh, seen nothing aside from still mm. watching uh the the latest season of atlanta yeah the irishman i'm waiting for and i don't i don't know when this is gonna happen <laughs> when i actually have three hours to string together yeah like i really want to sit down and watch it like beginning to end i i almost never get to watch a movie beginning to end i feel like anymore no that's hard to come by three and a half hours yeah yeah it's a big ask yeah i think it's good to watch it in installments that's what i did i did you know first hour and 45 minutes then uh, i watched it again for another i watched the another two hours and i looked at my watch and and i saw i still had another hour and (laughs) and and, (laughs) ran out of steam and sure enough (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all, it, there is some aspect of it being a little episodic. So there, there are pretty, pretty stark places where you can be like, pause, you know, you can ponder it for 24 hours, return to it and get, get more out of it. So, in fact, I saw online, I think maybe just on Facebook, I can't remember somebody like wrote down, it's like, you could actually break this up into like a four part series and like, here's where you would do it. Like the first oh. one. I know the first one was like right around the 41 minute mark, which kind of made sense when I was watching it. And uh, yeah. I, I had some of that in mind, but I've kind of given up on that. But I do think, yeah, like you could totally turn that into like a, a little mini series, Craig, instead of trying to do it all at once. Cause I, I'm with you. I'd like, there's no way I would get it done. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> yeah. uh, since you haven't watched anything, and I'm, I'm in the same boat, I haven't watched anything this week. Is there a movie you're most looking forward to seeing between now and when the next time we'll talk, which will probably be February? Mm. I mean, that all depends on what movies are out right now. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Is that a weird thing to say? No, it's not. I mean, uh, you I know, kind of, you know yeah. what I really want to see maybe the worst right now that's just coming to mind immediately is uh, Knives Out. Okay. Yeah, that just looks like a lot of fun. There, there are a bunch of actually bunch of good movies I want to see, but that one just seems like a lot of fun. I'd love to see it. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I was actually going to say the same thing. I, I'm, I'm hoping that we get a chance to see that one, uh, maybe even tomorrow night. Ooh, 
because yeah, it looks it looks really fun, and I, I like yeah. I like um, I think everything Ryan Johnson's done that I've seen except for one movie. So um, I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty uh, excited about this one. I think it looks good. Looks really good. Did that one movie have lightsabers in it, Brian? <laughs> you, actually, yes, it did. Uh, uh, that's funny. You, you and Craig are going to fight. Okay. <laughs> we'll have, we'll have a post show about that. <laughs> I keep hearing great things about Ford versus Ferrari. I'm really excited yes. to mm-hmm. check that out. I still need to see the Tarantino film Once Upon a Time in a, in Hollywood. So yeah, I think that, uh, that just landed. You can rent it now. I think as of this week or maybe last. Oh, week. Oh no, kidding. So yeah, it's it's high on my to do list. I think for the holidays. Well, let's talk about the movie we did watch, which is Trapped in Paradise. It's 1994, of course, stars Nicolas Cage, along with Dana Carvey and John Lovitz, making it the most 90s thing ever, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, Craig, I got to apologize because I was looking at the IMDb page and how they laid the cast out, which I guess is in order of appearance almost, because I was like, why does the priest who has, you know, a minute and a half of screen time second on the list here? So... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people in this movie and you had to wade through it here but yeah you also got uh, a few people I'll just mention are Florence Stanley as the mother of those three Paul Lazar who you may recognize from Silence of the Lambs, right, Brian? Oh, no, who was that? He's the son of the sheriff. Oh, yeah, him. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yep, that was him. Yeah, he was in that. He was yeah. the he was the entomologist. Yeah, I thought you were going to have to mm-hmm. hand in your fan card there for a second, buddy. I know. I, I, I felt so bad. Close. I felt bad. Yeah. I, I knew he looked familiar. Craig, I'm going to go back. I think it was Madchen Amick is what we landed on the pronunciation, who played Sarah Absolutely. Collins. Uh, Donald Moffat, who uh, played the bank owner, Cliff. Angela Patton, or Peyton, played Hattie Anderson. Richard Jenkins, of course, we have to mention Richard Jenkins because oh, yeah. uh, he's always memorable and he wasn't this, I thought. So yeah. here is the synopsis log line from IMDb. Residents of a friendly Pennsylvania town, which is called Paradise, foil three brothers' plan to rob a bank on Christmas Eve. Directed and written by George Gallo. Of course, we had some behind-the-scenes information that suggested maybe Nick Cage directed part of this himself. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Also, real quickly, I did not realize he has directed a movie before. He directed one in 2002 called Sunny, starring James Franco, which seems like a, a combination oh, wow. that makes a ton of sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't know anybody that's ever seen that movie, so maybe we'll have to watch that one next year, Sunny, 2002. <laughs> yeah. So, Brian, you're our guest, and we told yes. you, hey, we got a Nicolas Cage movie to watch. Had you seen this before? No, I had not. I, as I was watching it, certain parts would sort of come to me from my past, like I must have seen a trailer for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wait, oh, this. But I had never seen it. I, I, I'm sure I'd only seen promotional stuff for it. Okay. What did you think of Trapped in Paradise? Like you said, it, it was about the most 90s thing um, <laughs> I, I, I could imagine. It was like, you know, it had like a little Dumb and Dumber. It had a little Groundhog Day. It had the big studio feel. But it was um, kind of bizarro 90s because it was like it, it was people you recognized and, and kind of a, a, a style of film you recognized. But somehow it just didn't all quite fit together. I, I felt like the thing about this movie was you had three actors, all of whom were on their worst behavior. <laughs> you know, you, you, Nicolas Cage being as Nicolas Cage as he wanted to be with no director saying, hey, can you cut that out? That's That doesn't really work for anything. Sure. And you had Dana Carvey doing something. And, and, you know, John Lovitz kind of being his kind of stock character. I think it started to, to, to coalesce a little bit near the end. 
but it, it just made me think like, you know what? Comedy's really hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like some, sometimes you see a movie and, you know, when, when comedy's working, it looks effortless. But when it's not working, it looks like the hardest work that, that is available on this planet. And uh, that's 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 kind of how I how I uh, uh, felt about this this particular movie. How about you guys, Craig? What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely agree with that. Like, it it does make comedy look very hard, <laughs> which, which which it is. And I mean, my feelings about it were more like it's it's not even like a thing that starts and like dwindles and like dies off or anything. It's 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 really a fits and starts thing. Because I mean, mm-hmm. in one scene, like I just be like, oh, Nicholas Cage, you're you're destroying this scene. Like this is not funny because of you. <laughs> and then, uh, and harsh. then other times it was like, Oh, you're, you're right in there. Like, yeah. like that day, everyone came to work and kind of knew what they, what story they needed to tell that day, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like I, I just, in the scenes that didn't work, I remember just really kind of sitting there thinking like, there's so much, there's so much talent to be harnessed yes. here. It's sort of like when you, you can put a bunch of talent there but if it's not harnessed and directed in some way, like this is kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. Like you'll you'll hit you'll hit the target sometimes, but when you don't, it's like it almost makes it so that you can't even understand the story in a way. You're like, why is that character <laughs> like why is Bill Furpo, the guy who's at least mostly a balanced human being, right. acting like that right now? Like that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> no, no. It and doesn't. then uh, like a few scenes later, oh, that's Bill Furpo. Like I, yeah. I recognize him now. Yeah. Cause yeah, I, I I don't know. It was it's it's really kind of a shame because it just it feels like a movie that should have been everybody's favorite. Yes. I mean, the setup seems great. Every single person involved seems like exactly what you'd want for a dream team. Right. But I mean, at the same time, but this is what happens, right? I mean, sometimes all those elements come together and it just doesn't work. Right. I don't know if you can lay the blame at anybody's feet necessarily. I, I was thinking about Nick Cage in Raising Arizona. He's funny to me the whole way through Raising Arizona. Oh yeah, completely. And is that just because he's at 11 the whole way through Raising Arizona? Like, mm-hmm. he, he's not the straight man. Like, he is absolutely as goofy as he can be the whole way. Like, or or are the Coen brothers just real stern taskmasters? Like, no, fuck you. Do it this way. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like the, like the people that know how to use Nick Cage know how to sit on him. Maybe. And, and I think that the, when, when things are like, oh, this is like a crazy Nick Cage movie, it's when they kind of give... Nick Cage a, a little bit too much, you know, a little a little too much runway. And, Maybe, yeah. And he just he just takes off. I, I feel like the most the best example of of where this movie sort of fell short was like you're saying, it's like, you know, um Nicolas Cage's character is meant to be of these three brothers the most like straight and narrow. Right. Suddenly he's like Wangro in and Heat. Suddenly like he's just <laughs> gotta get it on. Like he's he's at this bank. <laughs> right. And and he's just like, oh man, he's just like itching. I'm like, what is this dude's backstory? Did did he like was he in prison or did he commit yeah. stuff in the past and he just loved it and he's been trying to repress it all? It's like none of that made any sense. So suddenly he just turns on a dime and you just sort of have to accept that, oh no, this is his character now. And right. and it was it was hard to go along for that particular ride. But but it, it also seems to switch back. Yeah. He's the most reserved one. See, and, and I kind of thought at the beginning that that what we what, what the casting was all about is he's going to start straight laced and by the end he's going to be a fucking lunatic <laughs> right and i was just like that's right. a really good idea because like yeah he can do that for sure but yeah it was kind <laughs> of like it was just yeah it was very uh, unbalanced and, and sort of uneven sean what how, how did you feel about this well are you guys done being wrong yet oh yeah we're totally <laughs> done 
Jesus. Scrooge. I had a really good time with this movie, and I will freely admit that some of that, if not all of that, is just kind of nostalgia-driven in the sense Mm. that I don't feel like a movie like this even exists anymore. Like, it just does not exist. Because of exactly what you're describing in the sense that it would have to be so grounded now, in a way... Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even think of a, like a studio comedy, and this was like Fox, I think, that wasn't like a superhero thing or something. That is this just sort of silly and goofy. Mm-hmm. I right. mean, and I don't know, like in a decade, like I don't even know. Maybe some of like the Will Ferrell, like I didn't see Holmes and Watson, or maybe a few of the things he's made this decade, but they're just so few and far between. I just kind of went along with it, as as ridiculous <laughs> as it is at times. Sure. It still made me laugh, and it made me laugh because it was ridiculous and because there's nothing about this movie that's remotely serious or would ever happen in in any sort of reality. In a weird way, I mean, I'm even looking at the poster here, and it's got the three guys in a snow globe. Like, in a weird way, it kind of works. They also, they don't make holiday movies anymore. Like, I tried to set a movie at Halloween or something one time. They're like, well, that really limits your release date and all this. You know, it's like, oh, come on. And it's great to have a movie set right at Christmas because... It does afford you opportunities to have humor that you wouldn't get otherwise. Like Dana Carvey is a kleptomaniac, and at one point they're in a store, and he's emptying his pockets, and he's stu- he's stuffed a like tiny Christmas tree in his coat pocket. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> I will say that I thought what was going to drive me crazy, and that I was going to hate was that Dana Carvey was doing a character the whole way through. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about that for a second. Which yeah. one of you guys wants to do the voice that he does in this movie? <laughs> well, he's doing he's doing Mickey Rourke. That, that's my great that's my great Mickey Rourke. But I mean, <laughs> Snow Chains. It's such a character. Like it's yeah. the most character character there is <laughs> in the movie, and it's I don't know. I, like I that's exactly what I want out of Danny Carvey, and I got exactly what I wanted out of John Lovitz. Right. I, mean, I got seventy five percent of what I wanted out of Nick Cage. And that's what I'm saying is like that doesn't even exist in the SNL world now. Like Kate McKinnon has not had her Kate McKinnon movie because she's wacky and goofy as hell. And it's like they don't make that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. John Lovitz, I've never seen be anything other than exactly what he is in this movie. Right. Yeah. And uh, you just either go with it or you don't. And like. I kind of felt like he got lost in like the second half of this movie. Yeah. Nonetheless, it's it's such a weird cast. I would never have thought to put these three people together. I can't no. even say I understand why Nicolas Cage did this movie having done Raising Arizona. Like there's there's just so many similarities in that character, I think, even though yeah. like it's a completely different movie and experience. And and like and what like the next year he'd be in The Rock. Yeah. Oh, is that right? I think that's right. Yeah. So this was this was ninety three. This is ninety four. Oh, ninety four. And so yeah, The Rock was ninety five. Oh wow. Yeah. That that's that's crazy to think that these these two movies exist in the same like yeah. so hemisphere. close together. Yeah. Yeah. Leaving Las Vegas was ninety five. The Rock ninety six. Con I mean, Air yeah. ninety seven. I mean, like it's crazy. This was the last movie he did before kind of like the the Nicolas Cage assaults, you know, yeah. where yeah. he just started blowing up in a good way. Yeah. I don't know that he's done a comedy like this since this movie. Honestly. Yeah. Not that I. Can think of but man i'd love that a little more plot description just to give people like an idea of what the hell this movie is actually about 
I will say, like it does, if you recall, it opens with the Naked City. We're in, in New York. We end up following a wallet that gets dropped and gets kicked around by all these people. And Cage picks it up. He's the guy that picks it up. And there's hundreds of dollars in this wallet, along with pictures of the family, of the cat, the dog. You can tell he wants to take that money, and then he goes and sees a priest that goes to the confessional booth and starts with a lie that it's been five years since he confessed. And, or no, he says it's been two weeks or whatever, I think. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the priest is like, yeah, it's been five years, buddy. You're off to a bad start. <laughs> I'm not saying that is enough to warrant what this guy does later on, but I do think there's a sense there that he perhaps has a checkered past, and uh, he's definitely a liar and tempted yeah. by perhaps some other side of his brain. What has to be one of the weirdest bits of exposition that I've ever seen, I think, is (laughs) is that the priest is reading the newspaper in the confessional booth and gives the information that the prison is so overcrowded there that they're kind of in the holiday spirit, I guess, granting parole to most of the people who are up for it, which includes Nicolas Cage's two brothers, who look nothing like each other or or Nicolas <laughs> yeah. Cage. Again, this is close. 94. You can do that. Yep. Alvin and Dave yep. Furpo. Dave is played by John Lovitz. Alvin is played by Dana Carvey. John Lovitz, again, is exactly John Lovitz. That's all you need to know. And mm-hmm. Dana Carvey, as we talked about, yeah, is sort of doing a high-pitched Mickey Rourke impression and... <laughs> <laughs> is maybe uh, not the sharpest tool in the shed, to say the least. There's a lot of humor in this movie to be had at people who are not all mentally there. Yes, <laughs> repeatedly. quite a lot. Yeah, again, lot something you don't see a lot of these days, no. maybe. <laughs> nope. Maybe that's progress, right? Yeah. And so that is sort of kicking off our plot. But what we find out from these two guys, and they are up for parole once they get out, is that John Lovitz portends to have a letter written by a fellow prisoner who is stuck in there, and he's got a daughter who works at a bank in Pennsylvania in a town called Paradise. She's so fed up with him and his lifestyle and how he ended up in prison that she won't talk to him, and he just can't imagine another holiday without that. John Lovitz feels like he has been asked in this letter to go and try to make amends with this woman, Sarah, for this guy. From the moment they get out, they're sort of plotting to do this. It's pretty easy to read between the lines that something is not on the level there, right? (laughs) Maybe like one of the big indicators is that after Nicolas Cage picks them up at prison, he's driving and John Lovitz is like, here, read this letter. And it's like, he's driving. You can't read a letter while you're driving. But Nicolas Cage clearly is trying to live the straight and narrow life. He just throws the letter out. He's very exacerbated with these two guys. There's very little patience for them. Knows that they are constantly stealing and up to something and plotting something. There's a very, very Nicolas Cage moment where he talks to John Lovitz. He says, I know how your mind works. The whole time you stand there with this who me expression. (laughs) Yeah. On your face! <laughs> and yeah. shouts that last bit. That is where he's at with these two guys, his brothers. Like it is uh, all he can do to tolerate them at all. Well, and I'd like to pause there for one second, please. That moment in particular was exactly what I was talking about when I was saying like it was like they they weren't on the same page about how to tell this story because yeah, you got John Lovitz like the setup of that. You stand there with a who who me look on your face. John Lovitz has a great. Who me face. He does, yes. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to shout in a funny way. You don't yeah. need to put this hat on that hat. Mm-hmm. You got the face. 
Like you can just deliver that, and it's and it's a great joke. You're telling me I'm the only one that enjoyed his line reading on that. You're oh. you're seriously telling me that. <laughs> I, I mean, I enjoyed it in in an ironic way. Like, like <laughs> that's oh, enough. That's a weird way to say that, man. But no, I really I didn't like that at all. <laughs> I, I I was like, I, it this took me right out. I'm just like, oh god, is it gonna be like this? Yes, yeah. it is gonna be like this. <laughs> well, and I guess that's <laughs> the thing for me is like I just don't I don't buy that. That's Bill Furpo. I think yeah. that's the main thing. Like that's that doesn't. It seems like something Nick Cage did because he was bored. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's yes. what it felt like to me too. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess you have to put that on on the on the director, right? It's just like you I know, that's so. a take. Yeah. Um, let's do another one where you know you're a little little more you know sedate, a little more restrained, and yeah. see how that looks. And because you can't you can't go to eleven that early in the movie. <laughs> Um, for no reason at all. Right. It's, yeah. it's so, yeah, it, it just, it felt like a, a movie that had gotten, gotten away from, from the, the creative mind who had sort of created it. I it thought, does. but if he had just been a straight man, do you think that would have been interesting to watch? Yeah, I do. I, I think, I think that would have, that would have worked better because then you let John Lovitz and Dana Carvey do their thing, be nutty. And it's, it's his, the, his poor aggrieved put upon older brother, that is having to deal with them and and try and keep them out of trouble. The the humor and interest can come from from that rather than you know what let's make him crazy too, Brian. And, and suddenly then 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 the whole dynamic is like well I I now I don't quite know where where I am. Is it just like a a family of criminals or is it you know so it it, it seemed to start as one one thing and then became another thing that that I I, I thought was. Not as interesting as, as maybe they did. I'm sorry, did I miss when John Lovitz and Dana Carvey won an Oscar? Because I feel like uh, <laughs> oh, uh, one of those three has an Oscar and has been nominated. And uh, I don't know that you want to hang your hat completely on those two guys in this movie. That's just me. Well, it's just me. No, that's, that's, that's true. <laughs> Look at it this way. Okay. The next year is when Nick Cage did his movie where he won an Oscar. He's getting started right here. He's getting started. I think it's, yeah, I think it's per- his performance in Trapped in Paradise where he looked at it and said, I got to get serious about this acting thing. <laughs> okay. And, and sure yeah. enough, yeah. the very next year, yeah. God, God bless him. And, you know, I don't know if it was a thing where, where the director was like, you know what? I don't know if Dana's choices uh, are working. Maybe, maybe we just need to mix it up and have, have Nicolas Cage go full Nicholas on us and, and see how that works. You <laughs> well, know, I, I don't know if that was the decision or not. But realistically, though, like I do think it's it's a thing where like he'd be great to play the straight man in this because he could get crazier and crazier. He could be so tightly wound and just come apart. Yeah, and and, th- and that would be amazing. But I I do feel like that early in the movie, yeah, he he just he went full cage on me. Yeah, he did. And, and I just I kind of wasn't buying it. Groundhog Day is is kind of a, a of a good template for that, and that it's just like you know you have you know Phil getting you know more and more crazed as as he's sort of working through this this crazy you know scenario. It works that way, and it's just like yeah, try something like that with Nicolas Cage, where yeah, you you let the cage out. But only at the end, rather than <laughs> than instantly. The second they they stop the car, basically, I'm just like, oh man, no, this is this is too much. You guys are doing it wrong. But doesn't he have to be a little bit, a little bit of that guy in order to be involved in this plot at all? I don't think so. I I, th- no. I think in, well, how's in this he movie, do, what's he going to do with a bank robbery? Like that's oh look look if if his brothers in you know instigate it. And you could have it be a little comedy of errors where it's just like his brothers are in it. He, he looks like he's in it. And, and before you know it, he's in too deep. And now it's just like, well, let's go ahead and rob this thing. Or I don't know. Well, but anything better 
<laughs> then okay. what then then what actually happened where they, they just become yeah. hardcore bank robbers and wave, waving shotguns at old ladies my goodness if if dave and alvin started the bank robbery i could see a world where bill is like i mean we already know he kind of wants to rob stuff and he's trying not to but mm. if they started a bank robbery he would say well i'm the smart one and i'm the only one who's going to get us out of this so i like better like go through with it or something yeah, and, exactly. You know, and, and like convince him. But I guess here's my biggest question or, or my biggest problem with it. And and again, I actually found a, a good bit of it entertaining. <laughs> and, and by the end, like the story does kind of come together. But at the same time, he ends up having a love interest and apparently falling in love with somebody. And <laughs> the, the character at the end kind of doesn't square with a lot of this character at the beginning to me. I don't know. Like I just suddenly he's like a serious straight dude who's like, in love with this girl but at the beginning he's just like 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 where did that guy go i don't know that the character at the end tracks with any character in history period like that's yeah (laughs) i will grant you that there is no need for a love story in this movie there really isn't that's where they landed yeah it's like like there's a there's a a character that cage plays for 10 minutes in the movie where he meets (laughs) mad chinamick at the beginning yeah. And then and then kisses her at the end. And that's that's one of the Nicolas Cage's in this movie, but yeah. he's nowhere else in this film. <laughs> but I did like in between, he tries to kiss her at one point, and to this movie's credits, her character says, No, what are you doing? Like well, you don't you don't <laughs> yeah. even know me. I think it's like yeah. literally the line. I'm like, Oh, thank God, you know, because that's, yeah. how, that's how the audience feels. She yeah. doesn't even know you. <laughs> right. I mean, exactly. I still felt that way at the end, and they yeah. were kissing <laughs> full on, right? Yeah, ready to live together. But oh, nonetheless, man. he's going to move to the town and she's all for it. Well, all right. Let's go back into plot just a little bit here. And let's let's talk about sure. how this robbery actually happened. So they go to they descend upon this town after John Lovitz cooks up this scheme that uh, Nicholas Cage is actually a restaurant manager at a very snooty restaurant, it appears to be. And so Nicholas very uh, believably so. Yeah. John Lovitz cooked up this scheme to get the police there. So it seems like they need to hit the road and, and go on the lamb, which they do. They end up in this town in Pennsylvania. He's basically just at wit's end. It's like, all right, go in and see this letter, you know, give the letter to the to the lady there to see if we can track her down. There's a woman named Sarah that works in the bank. And they go in, and inside the bank, it is like Mayberry minus like 40% intelligence, <laughs> I guess, you know, because there's literally a guard who's asleep the entire time, and I think of the the whole movie. The security camera, which you can see that the wire is not connected to anything whatsoever. It doesn't take Nicolas Cage long because, again, he's not an idiot. He's won Oscars. <laughs> to know that, okay, yeah, this is really tempting, But I'm not going to do this. I'm trying to resist this temptation here. Meanwhile, Dana Carvey is stealing every pin and candy cane in the entire building. Basically, that's planting the seeds. They talk to Sarah, and uh, that's a very weird conversation. I I don't know what she's doing in this movie. Really can't say. Yeah. She's no. there because you have to have a woman in here. And yeah. at the time, that just meant, well, she must be a love interest. Yes, exactly. They leave. They come back. I think they swap out cars and they plan this robbery. They go in and Donald Moffat, I believe, is the actor's name. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cliff Anderson, I think, is the character name. Well, he is the bank manager and he has the only key to the vault after they've run in here with ski masks and told everybody to put their hands in the air with these guns. Well, he's not in the bank at that moment. His wife is there. And she says, well, he's having lunch across the street. So sure enough, Nicolas Cage goes across the street into the diner, ends up telling all those people to put their hands in the air so he can get the key, and then brings all of them back across the street, back into the bank. 
think, which I thought was funny. Uh, maybe yeah. that's me. It's ridiculous. Yes, it would never <laughs> I mean, happen. I like those developments, yes. <laughs> I loved the uh, lady's performance there who played Mrs. Uh, Anderson. I thought she mm -hmm. was quite good and, and fun. Agree. They make out with about 275 grand, 250 grand from this poor little bank. And on that note... It all goes wrong from there, right? Yeah. I don't know if that went right, but... It definitely did not. I wanted to point out, just since I'm being kind of hard on this movie, a part that really made me laugh out loud, which is they're they're kind of casing the bank. And I think it's Nick Cage who says, you know, they don't even keep any money back there in that vault. Mm -hmm. Just as he says that some guys walk in from like Wells Fargo, they just got bags of money and they go, <laughs> here's your $275,000. <laughs> yep. I, I did like that very much. Like that was that was the movie I was I was there to see. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So in, in, as far as, yeah, convincing Nick Cage to, to rob the bank, that certainly helps. Yes. Yeah. I, I had had a couple of laughs up to this point as well. Uh, one particular one, I think, is when the Furpo mother yes. is reading aloud the letter, I think it is. Yes. Maybe it's, then. it's the letter that John Lovitz. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, she's crying at the end. And she's yeah. saying, you know, yeah. she's saying that line like, you know, I'll slit your throat and shit down your neck. <laughs> and and, she, and I'm just like this. That's that's funny. That's that's legit funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so that, that, there's there's some crafted laughs in this movie. For sure. um, that that do work definitely. My favorite moment of the robbery actually was when they rush out of there. John Lovitz and Nicholas Cage. Dana Carvey's supposed to be the wheel man, and he just takes off before they can get in the car. And he does that twice, and like it made, it made me laugh both times. There's no reason for him to do that other than he just no. he's like, okay, the robbery's over, let's go. It was just ridiculous. And Nicholas Cage is getting more mad and more mad by the second. And yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it all. I think the absolute worst scene in this movie is not long after this when we cut back to the prison. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we, yeah. we introduce our hoods, our cookie-cutter Italian mob guys, uh, mm -hmm. Vic Minucci and whatever his sidekick's name was. Tell that story again about that bank where your daughter, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, my God. You're that's, sitting around the table. Right? You tell that story so well. And then, sure enough, on cue, like an old-timer's like, Hey, is that that bank block? It just got robbed. It was on the news, you know. And he, uh, I think, looks in the camera and flips over the table or something. Vic Minucci does. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Not, not good. Not good. That's not a good scene. It wasn't. It wasn't great. And, and it's like, since when do bank robberies? And I don't think things are that different now between now and 1994. But uh, banks get robbed all the time, and may, they might make like the local news, but they don't. They don't Maybe. make the news like that. And they don't generate the kind of police and FBI <laughs> sort of response yeah. that this one did. Yeah. And you're just like, holy cow, what is this? They got like a, they had a whole headquarters set up at a, it was like, like a, you know, contagion or something that they were going <laughs> to, you know, set up a base camp and all this stuff. I'm like, this is nonsense for $275,000. Right. Yeah. There, 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 there was some overboardness uh, there, but, but yeah, just, just that convenient thing that they had to do to, to get the story we, well we need some bad guys so let's have them be told in prison and then Im instantly escape yeah they're, they're so mad about it 
the, the yeah, they haven't the thought to escape powers. the last you know twenty years. But oh, we hear this news, we're out here. <laughs> no clue how they escaped. I don't remember if that was even no. said. We definitely don't no. see it. We just they just they just escaped, you know, because yeah, they just got out. They're serviceable bad guys, I guess, who were slightly worse than our main characters. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but no. So they're trying to get out of this town, and it just doesn't work. Uh, at one point, they crash their car, I think, off of a bridge after. There's a whole lot of logistical stuff you could look into this movie and probably want to commit yourself to an institution trying to figure out which roads are exactly closed and which ones aren't because of the weather. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Our bad guys have no trouble getting there from New York. (laughs) Our good guys cannot leave uh, because of the weather, supposedly. So uh, I'm not going to try to figure that one out. But uh, they end up off road and they crash their car. And because this town, again, you know, you got to think maybe everybody in this town is impossibly good uh Mm -hmm. there's a guy a young man who stops and asks if they're okay and if he can give them a ride and in fact they sing some christmas carols in the car on the way over there and where does he take (laughs) them craig he takes them right back to the anderson house that's right they open the door and there's the people they just robbed comedy right i mean of comedy that's a great turn i really liked the idea of of this guy singing Christmas carols. Mm-hmm. I kind of had wished that the 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 guys had uh, our, our heroes had already had a worse day. Like to me, that would have just made it a little funnier because this guy sure. is so happy and he's just yeah. and and this is something I liked about the whole movie is that it's like the the optimism and positivity and innocence of this town like shields it from anything bad actually happening. Right. And yeah. and just in this sort of oblivious way, where like they're just so good anything you try to do is just like it's going to backfire on you if, it, if it's if it's going to harm these people so i really 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 like that absolutely the whole way through so yeah they end up back at the anderson house which is great and this is one of nick cage's finer moments in the movie is when mr anderson comes to the door and opens it and he kind of goes ah like that yeah. and they're like whoa, 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 what's wrong son he's like i stubbed my toe <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. One of my favorite Nick Cage moments in the entire movie is we find out that Sarah, the woman that works at the bank, actually lives upstairs in this house because, of course, she does. That is, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, <laughs> that is just the easiest way. And in fact, they call her Sarah upstairs because she rents a room upstairs. Well, she comes down. <laughs> And, of course, Nicolas Cage is surprised to see her. She's surprised to see him. They did have a conversation prior to the robbery, which, again, was done with ski mask on and sunglasses, and so they couldn't see their identity. She's asking sort of like, oh, what are you doing here? I didn't anticipate ever seeing you again. And he says, well, it's kind of another long and miserable story. I don't really want to get into it. Whoa, what is that three-legged dog doing over there staring at me? And, uh, yeah, we cut Mm -hmm. to there's just a three-legged dog sitting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yes. I I love that line reading, guys. I'm not going to lie. I loved it. It worked for me. Um, you know, I, it, I, if, if somebody's got to wave the flag for Cage here, uh, it's, it's going to be me, I guess. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, I, I'm a fan of three-legged dogs. Yeah. And, oh, sure. I mean, this three-legged dog really had his day. I mean, I'm pretty sure the movie su- survives without the three-legged dog, right? I mean... I, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't okay. know. I think he stole that scene. <laughs> the definitely. main plot. Well, yeah. I mean, no doubt. That scene would have been much stranger had there been no three-legged dog. <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been hallucinating, basically. That would have been really, really weird. Yeah. And then I did like Dana Carvey's transformation here because, you know, of course, they're coming in on the Christmas Eve night. 
And that mm-hmm. means dinner with the family. So these people being so <laughs> yeah. impossibly nice, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. here, take these Christmas presents that were wrapped up. There's clothes inside. Go get changed. Go get cleaned up. And then they all reconvene at the table to have a meal. And Dana Carvey is wearing, you know, a hideous festive sweater. And his hair is all slick and clean and washed and parted. <laughs> and he very, like, formally asks for Bill to pass the giblet gravy in that ridiculous voice. And uh, <laughs> Mrs. Anderson just beams with pride. And it's so stupid. But uh, yeah. I liked it. I don't know. I, I, I wavered on being completely annoyed by what Dana Carvey was doing with his voice at times and then other times finding it funny. And uh, this was one of those times where I was like, okay, that made me laugh. Did, did, you, did you like it when he dumped all of the giblet uh, <laughs> gravy on, onto his plate, like every last drop of it? Uh, and onto the table a little bit too, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I did not. Uh, <laughs> nor okay. did I like yeah, the uh, piling on the cream corn uh, when they were back at the apartment with his mother. I, don't, I guess that's his thing. He's yeah. very childlike in his, in his hunger yes, there. But it's gross to look at. It's, it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly was. Uh, actually, I should say that this this is the point in the movie where um, you turned it I, off. I noticed. Uh, well, no, I, I I kept I kept I powered through. Thank you. Um, no, we uh, Peggy and I noticed that the uh, the boom dropped into the shot. Oh, I didn't notice. Yes. Okay. Yes, it did. But that was the only time I saw it happen. So to its credit. Uh, literally no one was paying attention on set to anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. But yeah, so, you know, they're in a pickle here. And of course, as you mentioned, because $250,000 has been stolen from one tiny town in Pennsylvania, this absolutely warrants the FBI's strong, strong reaction. So in walks uh, Richard Jenkins, who, I, you know, you're hard pressed to think of somebody else who does a better job playing an FBI agent at wit's end, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's perfect for this. I mean, he's, he's Richard Jenkins through and through in this role for <laughs> sure. So it's sort of setting up this, what do we want to call it here? A trifecta, if we will, between there is the FBI law enforcement and that's sort of roping in the local sheriff and uh, the sheriff's son was played by Paul Lazar. And then you got our three bad guys who have robbed the bank. And then there are these two other guys who run the, um, I don't know, it was like a general store or grocery store or wherever. Wherever the guys went to buy their ski mask prior to the robbery, which is a really dumb thing to do, obviously, if you don't want to get caught. Um, nonetheless, I think that's John Ashton here who played Dawson. And then John Bergantine, who played Clovis, who was another one of the... Uh, not all mentally there, characters mm-hmm. that they had some fun with. They're sort of like the, well, not both of them, but Dawson specifically is literally a you know tobacco-chewing yokel who thinks he's on to what actually happened here, and perhaps there might be some money in it for him, or at least glory. I mean, you kind of smell that plot coming a mile away that all of these things, are they're just going to get on each other's nerves and trip over their own mm-hmm. feet, and at mm-hmm. some point... This guy, Dawson, is going to take the fall for it in some capacity, which he does briefly. I don't know that there's anything more to really say about that plot line. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, feel free I, to I, if you want to. Yeah, I wondered, though, like, yeah, because I never I never quite understood because, like, first they were, like, the proprietors of that general store. Yeah. And then suddenly there were deputies. Sure, they got deputized, yeah. Yeah, and, and so then I'm like, oh, okay. And and then, like you say, there's that moment where they're, they're briefly, like the bad guys, they're, they're, they're ones that the, the Richard Jenkins and the FBI think are the, the, the bank robbers. 
And then they kind of get out of that. And then it's like, oh, no, they're fine. And so it just felt like a little loosey-goosey story-wise where they're just sort of, I don't know, exempt from from suspicion after after enough time has passed. Uh, And, you know, they're questioned and they just feign innocence. And it's like, okay, well, we'll let them go. It's just odd that they're just allowed to re-enter into the story after that moment, which was sort of built up to be like a a big story-changing moment, but really didn't change much of anything. Yeah, you tread water a little bit and, uh, yeah, and <laughs> just keep things moving on all plot lines. And that then also extends to our Italian mobster guys who have kidnapped the Mafurpo, Edna, and are driving her to this town. I don't really know why they would other than at one point later on, they are able to threaten to kill her as a way to motivate you know, Nicolas Cage and these guys to give up this money. Really, it's just for the comedy of like having her in the back seat and just completely talking shit to these two guys and trying to drive them crazy, <laughs> right. which I thought she right. did a good job with. Uh, she starts singing yeah. Beautiful Dreamer at one point, which that kind of made me <laughs> laugh. So there's like one other big sort of set piece moment in this, I think, you know, aside from just some various car chasing and guns going off. And that is Dana Carvey, John Lovitz and Nicolas Cage try to flee by boat and canoe, I guess, or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, I forgot yeah. about that part. In the middle yeah, of the night, did. in a blizzard, and I'm just like, that's a bad idea. Like, this is just, mm-hmm. I would not get yeah. anywhere near that water. This, t- You know, you're going to freeze to death for one thing. But I buy it. I buy that. They're just trying to get out of this state any way they can. But they're not five minutes in the water when there's a helicopter uh, going over the water because there's been information about the car that was used as a getaway car, like some kids saw it dumped into the river, I think. Dana Carvey, in this melee to get away from the helicopter, ends up in the water and, of course, ends up being saved by just some other polite neighbors who overhear it and uh, do the right thing. They're all over the age of 60. This is all sort of pressing upon Nicolas Cage to be the one to first say, you know what, I can't do this. These townspeople are too nice. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, he had his moment of weakness, like he almost did at the beginning with his wallet. See how impeccably structured this is, guys? <laughs> no, Impeccable. It's all tying back together. And so then it's like, okay, then you get the comedy of, well, like, what are they going to do? And there's a moment that really bothered me, I thought, which, well, A, they end up going to church with these people that that saved Dana Carvey, which I guess just kind of a weird thing to do, but whatever. It's Christmas Mm -hmm. Eve. And Sarah's there. And she, you know, previously had tried to take them to the bus station and was a little like, you know, she didn't exactly have a conversation with Nicolas Cage as he was trying to say goodbye to her. She just pulls away. And so she's there. She wants to talk to him and they step away. She's sort of saying, yeah, I wasn't completely honest about who I was at first, but I kind of know what you guys did and just don't hurt these people any more than you already have. And Nicholas Cage is saying, yeah, I know, but I like these people too now. And he has a line where he says, I wish I could think of something to make this all better. That just blew my mind because he still got the money at that point. I'm just like, give the money back. Like, it's not rocket science, right? Like, right. what do you mean you don't know what you could do to make it better? Like, <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah, so... That drove me crazy. I really think that's just there to service that like really threadbare romantic angle that they try to milk out of that character. Yeah, yeah it drove me crazy. But uh, you know, all of this is just like you're turning up the heat on the Richard Jenkins of it all, and these other two clowns who say they know that these three guys did it, and you're setting the stage for Nicolas Cage, John Lovitz, and Dana Carvey to ultimately decide. Although it takes some prodding of John Lovitz 
to return this money. They try to take it back to the vault because he's still got the vault key. That doesn't work. They've actually closed the vault. There's another door inside that they don't have a key for, I guess, and they trigger the alarm. So they run away from that, and they end up just leaving the money outside of this other church. The story's not over. Next thing you know, they find themselves back at the Anderson house. Our bad guy Italians are there, and they've got their mother. I have no clue, none, why the sheriff's son, Paul Lazar, is in that house. Oh, yeah. No. They never explain that, do they? But he is. He's on the couch being held at gunpoint. Sarah is there. The Andersons are all there. Nicholas Cage is trying to tell them, we don't have the money anymore. We can't give it back to you. And then sure enough, Paul Lazar ends up, I don't remember if he takes the gun from like the uh, lackey number two, but I did love the moment. He shoots Vic Minucci, the main bad guy, in Mm -hmm. the chest. He goes flying through the window, right? It's just been shot. (laughs) I don't even think they had a, a reaction shot of Sarah, who, that's her father, right? Right. Yeah. There's no. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) They don't even register. It's like her dad just got shot in the chest. (laughs) But that being said, he seemed none the worse for wear. Uh, He does live. Oh yeah, he seems fine. Reacher type chest. I I, I don't know. (laughs) Jack Reacher in this. Yeah. He seemed to take take that bullet pretty easily. Yeah, he did. Right. He had enough uh, wherewithal and and presence of mind to to make a quip when 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 the police yeah. arrived. You yeah. know. Still feel like the daughter would at least be a slightly concerned for a second there to you know. Oh, I would think maybe, so. Maybe yeah. she gets sure. a reaction oh, shot. Maybe maybe you give her a reaction shot. Not in this movie. Not in this movie. With them out of the way, we go back to the basketball gymnasium or wherever they had set up the FBI headquarters, and Richard Jenkins is trying for the love of God to piece out exactly what happened. And it seems like our three guys are going to get busted because our yokel local general store owner says, I saw these three guys buy ski masks at my store right before the robbery. But that's not what happens because Dana Carvey has actually stolen more ski masks and he has them in his coat and he pulls them out. (laughs) And then all of our townspeople in this Frank Capra world here mm. come to the last second aid of our three heroes saying heroes. Uh, they know they cannot identify them and they don't think they're the ones that robbed the bank. Richard Jenkins can't prove it, so you got to let them go. Happy ending. Dana Carvey, John Lovitz, the mom get on a bus and Nicolas Cage stays behind with Sarah Collins to absolutely make out they're totally gonna go bone right after the credits roll there's no question about that nope. and uh he's gonna set up shop there you know maybe he'll manage a restaurant there and give her free coffee and uh right. all will be right in the world on this christmas day craig i don't know how you guys can be so cold-hearted to shit on this movie <laughs> and this christmas the no, christmas message that it's delivering here yeah, that's that's true. I, I I really did like that it was a Christmas movie and that it was set during like Christmas time and it was trying to to be a holiday movie. I like that about it, and I also liked Richard Jenkins' performance in that last scene. Mm-hmm. He just proved again, like you know, this is is such a, a competent, proficient actor who who conveys what he needs to. I, I don't know if he was in the same movie as everybody else, but um, <laughs> probably not. Well, yeah, I like that he was in the movie at that moment. Rightly or wrongly, you're not enjoying a movie. Your mind mind tends to wander to other things. And one thing I was thinking about quite a lot watching this was what a nightmare shoot this must have been. I mean, all night and mm-hmm. all cold and fake snow blowing at you all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and so many extras. 
I was like, they, they must have just not had a very good time making this, especially with what I think must have been a, 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 very, a fairly hands-off director kind of leaving the actors all to their own devices and they're just trying to muddle through and it's like, I think this shot needs this. I think this scene needs this. And the director probably just saying, yeah, that, that works, whatever, that's fine. But yeah, yeah I, I, I would be interested to hear, it just, it just watching it made me think like, how interesting would the behind the scenes on this movie yeah. be? Yeah. Um, I, I imagine pretty interesting. Because uh, because it, it did have, it had such a, all the elements were there. I mean, you had such yeah. a good, strong supporting cast. You had, you know, Nicolas Cage right before his his crazy run of, of, of great movies. You had John Lovitz and Dana Carvey at the height of their SNL fame. And for whatever reason, it just, it just, it just didn't gel, didn't click. So watching the movie was kind of just like, oh, so many opportunities kind of missed here because they had clearly a good studio budget, a good studio crew. I mean, you had a lot of like really well executed dolly shots and crane shots. And you know, that, that part of the movie was fine. It even had like a, a, a very competent orchestral score, which was a little odd at times, but you know, it was, it was well done. But then just, it, it just, it was all in service of nobody was quite certain what I thought. Yeah. But it, it, as a, as a time capsule, uh, it, it, it certainly is effective. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, you know, I, I definitely laughed at certain points, like good, good, honest laughs. But yeah. sitting here thinking right now, if I could, if I could wave a magic wand and if I could take out the Madchen Amick character and that storyline, no, no offense to her, she's yeah. great. But if I could take yeah. her out of it and if I could switch Richard Jenkins and Nick Cage in their roles, <laughs> I would like to uh, see what that movie would look like. Oh, yeah. That'd be interesting. Richard Jenkins being uptight is a whole different thing than Nick Cage being uptight. Oh, completely. And I just wonder if I would have bought that a little more. And and like so, the when, whenever he robs a bank, like you know he, you kind of know better where he stands. And then Nick Cage can go crazy as an FBI guy. Right. I don't know. I think that would have fixed the movie. Actually, that that's that's a great idea. But then like a lot of a lot of movies come down to casting. But what 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 Sean? I say, but would Richard Jenkins have said this line like this? Then we can get some balloons and go to the puppet show. <laughs> I don't think yeah. so, guys. I don't but think see, that's... so. And, and how would Richard Jenkins have delivered the line, let me do the cracking and you can do the jacking? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, he might not have sold it quite as well as Nicolas Cage That's did. right. That's right. Absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. And he'd have to play like kind of Italian, maybe Jersey at least or something going. Yeah. I don't know what kind of. Yeah. There's accents that float in and out every now and then. <laughs> it kind of came and went. Uh, yeah. I, I, I couldn't quite pin down what was happening with those guys either. <laughs> I was just like, wait, what is, what is that? And then, you know, Dana Carvey's just doing his completely own other completely. thing. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like these people were not raised in the same house for even a minute. There's a completely no, different. They definitely people. have different fathers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So look. It's ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, I'm not saying it's great. I, I don't know if I honestly don't know if that's quite fair. It feels harsh, right? Ten percent Lo- lower. Pretty low. No, yeah. <laughs> you're saying it should be lower. <laughs> Maybe lower. Maybe more like know. seven. Seven feels a little more fair, I guess. If you're a reviewer writing at the time, sure. I mean, this is the same year that Pulp Fiction came out. For the love of God, uh, it doesn't oh, seem wow. possible that these two were, you know, Shawshank Redemption and on and on. Oh wow, what a uh, what a throwback this movie is. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I'm a little surprised it is 94. I kind of feel like it should be 91 or 92. Yeah, yeah totally. Wow. That said, looking at it now, and again, I do want to say 
a lot of this is a nostalgia thing for me, for me enjoying this movie and just feeling like there's a complete void in the marketplace for this kind of thing. I'm not mm. trying to change your minds, but did I change your minds? Um, I, no, <laughs> but I will say that uh, I am receptive to the idea of like kind of, you know, mid-budget movies like this, I, I think absolutely deserve their day instead of just whatever the, the next massive property that has sequel opportunities or a universe. Yeah, yeah I, I, miss, I miss those days too because yeah, you have misfires like this, but you also have really great movies that kind of come out of nowhere and, and they become classics and, and you're just not seeing that as much now. Yeah. Which is too bad. And maybe Netflix is doing it with their Adam Sandler deal and I just, I, ha- I haven't watched some of those movies so maybe that's I mean, this on me. is definitely an Adam Sandler territory type movie. Yeah. Anything we missed, any joke that you liked that we didn't talk about, you ring dings? <laughs> I, I was I was struck. It wasn't a joke so much that I liked, but I was I was struck by how much um, language has has changed in terms of what is acceptable uh, okay. now versus okay. back then. Uh, the 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 R word um, was was thrown about a couple times there with with yeah. no no hesitation and, and no no backward glance. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, that just that that doesn't fly now. Well, with good reason, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> it it was just sort of a, a one of those markers where you're just like. Oh, yeah. Things are different now. Yeah. yeah. Craig, what about yeah. you? Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything that we didn't uh, get to. No, I don't think there's anything we didn't get to, honestly. <laughs> Not one single <laughs> laugh we didn't mention. Nothing. Nothing for you. Yeah. there was. Jeez. I mean, th- 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 there was some bit. There was, there was one <laughs> bit that was almost not ruined where... Uh, <laughs> Now there's a compliment. It was almost not ruined. <laughs> it was almost not ruined. Oh my god, that's the most backhanded compliment I've ever heard. I love it. That's no, amazing. But, <laughs> that's that's an exaggeration, but but it's in the trailer. And and the problem is I can't remember exactly what what was being said. But like Nick Cage was 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 cranking it up to ten, but like it really worked at this point. And he's pointing at John Lovitz. He says, "I think you're up to something. You're you're not telling me." Yes. And Lovitz is like. It's, there's a word for that. It's paranoia, you know, like, yeah. and like that, that interplay was like, great. They seem to be matching each other and like listening to mm. each other. And like, I just felt like that. I wish everything was on that level because those three guys being mad at each other and kind of being three stooges is great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I just could do without the funny. If I, if I could, if I could just change the funny voice deliveries <laughs> from Nick Cage in this, I bet I would like it. Twenty percent. Yeah, I think you're right, and that, that's actually a note of mine. Is that the the, the actors uh, aren't always sort of attentive to what the other actor is doing. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, they 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 they're, they're they're just sort of like, I'm here to do this thing, and by God, I'm going to do it, no matter what the other actor's doing. Well, um, and but but when when they are simpatico, when they are sort of working together, like you're saying, it's like, yeah, it, it sort of works, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it's it's a rarity in this movie. And, and I I could imagine uh, that that each of them are were in possibly in a place where. They'd be in a scene and think, this scene isn't going well. I better save it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Just all on their own deciding, like, I'm, I'm got to be the one to make this funny. And just, ooh, man. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's tough to watch when when that's when that's happening. Yeah, you know, not just because they all think the scene is dying, but then they all they all have to do their own weird, crazy thing to try and save it. And and, and I feel like Nick Cage was probably the one thinking that most often, based based on his <laughs> well, performance. And, and that was the other thing I was wondering was like, could, could there be any even intimidation factor? Because mm. I mean, he's a very funny guy, but then yeah. I mean, you've really got a couple of real pros in Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Funny-wise. And, like, you know, maybe you're trying to match them and, you know, 
I don't know. Like I, I could, oh, that's, I could that's see me getting real inside my head if I was Nick Cage. I mean, come on. He's got a hundred movies in his filmography where he is at this level. <laughs> I don't think he's trying to match. I mean, I don't feel like he's trying to match them. I think he's just trying to be himself. This is his DNA, okay? Fair enough. Fair enough. Nick Cage lover. But think of the Nick Cage movies where he is like, you know, really controlled. You know, you think of uh, the, the Ridley Scott one. Um, Matchstick Men. Matchstick Men. Yeah, Matchstick Men. Right. Yeah, it's like that. I, as I recall that movie, it's been a long time since since I've seen it. He 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 was he was not this like you know up to eleven version of himself. I think maybe the Weatherman was like that too. And and it's just like that kind of stuff works. You you want some of the crazy cage, but when you don't need it, you can you should be able to to bring that in. But it may have been a power differential, uh, honestly, but between uh, you know the creative team behind the camera and. And the the guy in front of it, possibly. Yeah. Possibly. I'll grant you that. I mean, yeah, I like all range of Cage. I just enjoyed the little flourishes here. But I do want to p- point out two things that were sort of under the Richard Jenkins umbrella that made me kind of laugh. Well, one was just observation. There is a an absolute dazed and confused McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, in this movie. Dazed and hmm. Confused came out before this. I double-checked. And... I think it's Richard Jenkins that says it, but it might have been the sheriff. But there's no way that that was. I don't know. Like I watched it twice. I'm like, that sounds exactly like they're just they're just quoting that line. Oh yes. really? Um, wow, I, I did not catch that at all. No, oh, that's a reference. That, Very easy yeah. to miss. But then yeah. there's also a moment where they're like in that gymnasium and like there's cops that are playing basketball and Richard Jenkins is trying to like make sense of everything going on. And then like somebody's like. We got, there's like three teenagers over here who say they saw like, you know, the car go into the river and can take us to the spot. And he just high fives one of the kids. <laughs> the way Richard Jenkins, like, yeah. I, I could just watch him high five people all day long. Like, it, like oh, that yeah. felt well, totally spontaneous to me that he just did it and nailed it. Like, you know. Yes. <laughs> but he, he really excels at exactly that comedy because yep. he just comes across as such an adult. And so yeah. any weird thing he does to me is really funny. He just seems like such a serious person. Yeah, and it's, what's crazy to think is that, you know, like he's that age in 94, and then he, he seems virtually unchanged to be the Richard Jenkins in Step Brothers, yeah. you know, or like 20 years yeah. later. And it's just like, wow. I mean, I guess that's one of the things when you're an actor who kind of sort of presents as older, mm-hmm. yeah. like early on, is like you get you get to be that character for longer than than like any of your peers True. if you're any Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, guess, I guess we get that that pure Richard Jenkins, you know, uh, a character for, you know, all the movies we've gotten and probably for another 10 years. Oh, God, I hope yeah. so. Yeah. And conversely, Nicholas Cage looks pretty young in this movie, you know? Yeah, he does. Okay. Well, on that note, Craig and I have been uh, sharing favorite Nicholas Cage performances each uh, full length episode. And so mm. I don't know if you've listened to the last episode or not, but I said matchstick men. So, Aside from oh. that, is there another favorite Nicolas Cage performance for you personally, sir? Um, and if you want to say Trapped in Paradise, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think I, I think I might not. Um, actually, what's sort of weirdly coming to mind is um, is Kick Ass. <sighs> you stole mine, you son yeah. of a bitch. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, no, okay. But um, I I thought his his uh, his performance in that uh, the, the movie itself is pretty uneven, but. I, I feel like his character was um, uh, kind of heartfelt and, and, and moving in a way. And I, I thought he did a, a really good job in that in that one. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'll go with Kick-Ass. Sorry to steal yours. Craig, I'll go to you and then I'll do my own. I got to bring up Snake Eyes, uh, the Brian De Palma movie. 
Yeah. I mean, he is prime cage. I, I think that was one where where I saw it. And when I first saw it, I thought, ah, Cage, you got to dial it down a little. And now, <laughs> like, I watched it not, like, a few months ago or so. And I'm like, no, he's, that's right on. Like, that's exactly, like, that character is great. And and that's yeah. one of those, uh, it's one of the De Palma movies that isn't talked about very much, but has all the good De Palma stuff in it. I really like that movie, actually. So uh, I'm going to go with Snake Eyes. What about you, Sean? Well, I will definitely throw some love to the movie Joe. David Gord Green did. I haven't seen uh, that yet. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good performance. I need to see it again. Um, but yeah, there's some good stuff going on in that movie. But I will say I really thought he did a good job with the voice work in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So uh, yeah. yeah, Spider-Man oh, yeah. Noir. That's true. Very nice. And last but not least, I have to mention... Uh, because this was announced relatively recently. There's a movie in development right now called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is a great title. Mm. But it is set to star Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage, hoping to get a role in a Tarantino movie and having to do a birthday party for, uh, I think, a Mexican drug lord's daughter or something. (laughs) Wow. It, it sounds very crazy and very meta and uh, very adaptation like, yeah, right? A little bit of adaptation, maybe a little the JCVD, which I still haven't seen, but where Jean Claude Van Damme played himself in that. Uh, uh, yeah. But yeah, I was reading the article on Deadline.com about it today, and it definitely it sounds like it has some heat to it, and Lionsgate is involved, and uh, so maybe that'll be on the horizon. It'll be another interesting uh, Nicolas Cage movie. They said it could grant him a payday that would be somewhat back in the in the levels of national treasure days so it would be a oh wow i'd I'd love for nicholas cage to have a comeback yeah that that would be well yeah as craig and i will attest and that was the last thing i was going to ask you craig was uh i am guessing that you would say the trust is the better of the two movies that we watched this month well i mean that's tough I, i i do think it's probably better in terms of i don't know like kind of consistency yeah i don't know i don't know i could see myself watching trapped in paradise again yeah so I don't know. I, I feel like it's Nicolas Cage. I, I I mean, there's a reason why people put him in movies because they know they're going to make money. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they're just, people are going to watch the hell out of Nicolas Cage. So even right. with all my misgivings, I, I could totally see myself seeing this again. Yeah. Well, we'll just call it a tie then. It's They're both really, really yeah. watchable. And uh, Crane, if you haven't seen The Trust, yeah, well, I'll, I'll recommend that once again. I thought it was, it was pretty damn good. Okay. 2016, it's on Netflix. Uh, let's see here, guys. Anything you want to say? Before we go, any last words to close out the year? Crane, thanks again for joining us, and uh, thanks again for helping out this this season yes. uh, with everything. It's been fun. Oh, you bet. Yeah, I just wanted to say, yeah, thanks for, for having me on. It was a blast to, to do the episodes we did. Yeah, and uh, I hope to uh, to contribute uh, in the future, too. Okay, well, Craig, any last words for 2019? Uh, just that uh, I'm, I'm glad to have uh, been able to work on this podcast another year, and I just hope next year that Brian Crane never visits this podcast again. <laughs> Finally, the truth comes Those out. Those are the two. I mean, yeah, we got very conflicting wishes, so that's kind of weird. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, no, don't, don't let him contribute again. That, that's done. This, this is his last one. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, I'll say goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. All right, closing it out for the year, 2019.